Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Tēnā koutou i te whānau, uh, ko Sarah, tōku ingoa. Oh, I might use it later. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, I am in recovery from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, and I'm also a follower of Jesus. And so this morning I just want to chat a little bit about what it looks like to be both of those things. Uh, thanks for having me. I feel like this is such a cool church family that you would do a whole series on suffering. I feel like that's it's really brave, but it's real life, and that's, these are the things we need to be talking about, so it's an honour to be here today. Um, there are many things that happen in this world that are not okay. Uh, I lived for nine years in India with my husband and two kids, um, working in a red light area, uh, working with women that had been trafficked into the sex trade and forced into slavery. Um, there's a popular saying that I hear around a lot, and maybe you guys hear it around as well. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? Because I don't. I don't believe that saying. And here's why. Because I walked alongside people that suffer in slavery. And you imagine me talking with a girl, she shares her story with me of how she had been sold as a teenager into the sex trade, uh, repeatedly raped, tortured, locked behind closed doors, forced to sell her body for years and sometimes for decades. Imagine if I turned around to her and then I said to her, you know what, everything happens for a reason. Imagine if I said that to her. For one thing, that would be a really uncaring thing to say. And secondly, I don't, I don't think that it's good theology. Because I think, I believe that God has given us more autonomy than that. And us humans, man, we do sometimes do some really awful things to other humans with our autonomy. And when we throw around that saying, I think we minimise people's suffering. Not everything happens for a reason. The world is broken and lots of hard things happen to people. Lots of hard things happen to us. However, our God, our wonderful God, is knee deep in our brokenness and our suffering with us. And our good God is in the business of taking the hard things and bringing restoration taking decay and bringing newness. That is what God does. Because of Jesus, life can come out of death. It doesn't always, but it can. It's possible. Beauty can come out of suffering. And that is what I have witnessed Jesus doing in the lives of the women that we work with in India. And that is what I've experienced in my own life. So one of the hard things that happened to me was that I was born into this world with an abusive father. 
that, that sucked, that wasn't fair. When we experience something that is so awful that we think that it might possibly end our life, that is called a trauma. Trauma is the threat of annihilation. So as a small kid, I had an unspeakable fear that dad was going to kill me. And I found incredible ways to survive. I became very resilient, and I buried my trauma so well that I actually didn't even realize that it was there. Um, but we humans, we store trauma in our bodies, and my body remembered. So my childhood trauma exploded out of me in quite a dramatic way. Um, in 2018, on August the 7th, at 6 p.m., when I was working at our, our workshop. So um, my husband and I had spent eight years um, starting a social business called The Loyal Workshop in Kolkata, India. Those eight years had been both incredibly hard and wondrously amazing. And I was the last one in the workshop that evening and I was feeling overwhelmed and I had a panic attack and a rage outburst and I spilt my herbal tea all over my... <laughs> new laptop and threw my phone across the room and um, that's not usually the way that I behave, that's quite unusual for me and from that moment on I was very sick. Um, so my supervisor was very quick to see how unwell I was and encouraged me to leave India. So after three weeks I boarded a plane to Thailand to get um, some trauma treatment over there at a wonderful counselling centre. And as I boarded that plane, I assumed, like many people I think, that I was unwell because of this um, close work I was doing with women that were suffering and were in deep trauma themselves. Um, but after just like a couple sessions, it actually became really evident that actually I was really unwell because of what happened in the first years of my life. So from Thailand, I kind of hoped I'd be well in like a few months and go back to work, but <laughs> it doesn't always work like that. So from Thailand, I came back to New Zealand and had a period of what ended up being two years of rest, uh, weekly trauma therapy, uh, medication, uh, and um, moving my body, um, running and yoga and sorts of things that were helping me. So now four years on from that, I feel more myself than I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, and I give thanks to God for this incredible recovery that I've experienced. Uh, God has brought renewal and new life out of my suffering. And God can use whatever God likes to heal us. And in my case, God used science. Um, so despite all this incredible healing at the beginning of, the, of last year, I was still feeling kind of, the, kind of this um, dis-ease. I was feeling quite disintegrated. So it felt like I was kind of split down the middle. I'd had this trauma experience and trauma recovery that has forever changed my life. And on the other side of me, I had my faith in Jesus and my kind of life trajectory of living for Jesus' kingdom. And these two parts of me were not connecting. And I wasn't finding examples of people in church that had done this integration work. 
So um, that kind of motivated me to take a post-grad um, paper at Kerry Baptist College called uh, Human Flourishing. And that kind of gave me a safe space for me to process how to bring my two worlds of my understanding of, the, of trauma and what I'd been through together with, with my faith and who I believe uh, God is. So hopefully something from, from the research that I did for myself, I'm going to share a little bit today with you. Hopefully it's, some of it's helpful for you today. Um, before I get into it though, um, as I said before, we experience trauma in our bodies. So I just want us to get into our bodies a little bit. Well, sometimes we can be a lot in our heads at church. Um, so um, if you would be willing to do this exercise with me, I encourage you to scooch just kind of the, to the edge of the, your seat, still sitting down. If I had a chair, I'd give an example. <laughs> and um, scooch to the end of your chair. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. And now I can give a proper demo. Um, and just want you to sit up nice and tall. And close your eyes if you feel comfortable to do so. And I want you to just feel the way that your feet are connected to the ground. Wiggle your toes. Um, feel, maybe you can feel your socks or you can feel your shoes. And then I want you to move up towards, up through your legs and see what you can feel there. Maybe you can feel the fabric of your pants or your skirt touching your legs. Up through, through your seat, feel the way that this, the seat that you're sitting on is supporting your body. Continue to notice up through your stomach. Is your stomach relaxed or is it tight? Up through your chest. Notice your shoulders. Are your shoulders relaxed down or are they up around your ears? How, how is your jaw? Is it feeling clenched? Is it relaxed? And now we're just going to take three slow, deep breaths together. So now inhale with me. And exhale. Inhale with me. And out. One more on your own. God, I want to thank you for making our bodies and minds so wonderfully. Thank you for that all that we can learn through trauma therapy about what it means to flourish as a human. Thank you that you are with us when we suffer. Thank you that you are with us now. Help us to feel you in our bodies. Help us to understand more of what it means to be truly human. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for doing that with me. Hopefully everyone's feeling a little bit relaxed now. Um, so, human flourishing is a cool title. Um, what does it mean to flourish as a human? I think people in every culture, in every time have wanted to live a full and good life. The desire to flourish is a universal desire, but people's ideas of what that flourishing actually looks like 
differs hugely according to like our culture and our upbringing and our worldview. So for my research, I defined human flourishing like this. Human flourishing is the ability to engage in the process of becoming all that God has created you to be, which includes being reconciled to God, to each other, to yourself, and to all of creation. What's so cool is that flourishing is not something that we just want for ourselves. It's actually something that God wants for us as well. God is actively involved in our world, working towards our flourishing. And as God has created us to be incredibly relational, um, there is a relational aspect to what it looks like to flourish. Um, A part of what it means to flourish is engaging in that process of being restored in relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with all of creation. So the basic human problem that we have is the breakdown of these four relationships, right? When these four relationships break down, or even just when one of them breaks down, we suffer. So the question becomes, what breaks down these relationships? What is it that breaks down these relationships? Traditional theology would say that it's personal sin that is the root cause of the breakdown, And that is part of it, but I don't think that just personal sin is entirely to blame. I think that's overly simplistic, and it doesn't ring true with our our lived human experience. I'm still learning myself, but I can see at least two other causes that break down these relationships. Firstly, the sin of other people done to us. And secondly, shame. The shame that we feel that that isolates us from other people. Sometimes we are cut off in our relationships through no fault of our own. So a flourishing as humans is the goal. What stops us from reaching that universal goal? Human flourishing is interrupted for for many reasons. Today I just want to hone in, focus in just on trauma and how experiencing trauma can interrupt our flourishing. But first of all, I just want to talk about what is trauma. Thanks, Emma. So what makes a traumatic event? I think almost anything could be a traumatic event. A sudden death of a loved one. Overhearing someone yelling at a supermarket. Living through a pandemic. Being diagnosed with a medical condition. What is of significance is not so much the type of event, but the way that a person experiences that event. If they experience it as a threat to their life, then it becomes a traumatic event. So, for example, imagine there's two people driving in the car down um, State Highway 2, cruising back to my house. I forgot to say I live in Karangahaki Gorge, near Pairoa. So, cruising back home at night and... Um, they slide off the road and crash into a tree. So the driver gets a big fright, definitely experiences some feelings of shock, um, and, but, but wakes up in the morning feeling relatively um, relaxed and recovered. But the passenger who thought he was going to die, he is not okay the next morning. He has experienced a traumatic event. 
So that same event can come back for that passenger many times through his life as though the car accident is happening all over again. So can you see two people in the same event, radically different experiences? So um, trauma is defined by Bessel van der Kolk, a key founder of trauma theory, as not the story of something that happened back then, but the current imprint of that pain, horror, and fear living inside people. These events can hold us in a state of helplessness and terror and alter our perception of danger. Trauma is the threat of being killed or dying. And it is a sober reality in our world. 70% of the world's population will experience trauma at some point in their lives, with a further um, 6% to go on to develop PTSD, like I did. And so the argument of the research that I did um, was that trauma interrupts human flourishing by stonewalling an individual from becoming an integrated, connected person, breaking down our relationships with other people, with God, with ourselves, and with all of creation. This results in isolation and suffering. And even though this topic of trauma can seem a little heavy, I actually am, feel so hopeful because of the significant neuroscientific breakthroughs um, we've had in understanding um, how humans experience trauma, how we hold it, and how we can heal from it. That's happened just in the last few decades. So we're going to look a little bit on the mind and trauma. Sorry, this is very different than your usual sermon, I'm sure. Um, but I want to show you what happens in our mind when we experience trauma. So this is a diagram of the limbic system, part of our brain. So this is where all the action happens with trauma. Um, the amygdala which is like a tiny little almond-shaped part of our brain, and it's um, that little red thing you can hardly see there, is like our own little personal smoke alarm, and it's responsible for registering potential threats. The blue section is our hippocampus, where our regular memories are filed, kind of like a really orderly chronological filing system. Traumatic experiences overwhelm and break this tidy system. During a traumatic event, our amygdala goes under extreme hyperarousal, the alarm sounds, and the hippocampus, that filing system, collapses. The prefrontal cortex, um, which is the part of our brain that is responsible for rational thought, uh, for decision-making, um, shuts down and goes offline. Trauma is not stored as a narrative with a orderly beginning, middle, and end, but rather as flashbacks that contain fragments of the experience, images, sounds, body sensations that initially have no context other than fear and panic. The person is then vulnerable to experience the event again, not as something that happened in the past, but terrifyingly something that is happening again to them right now. So Freud noted that World War I veterans didn't merely recall horrific incidents, they relived them. This is what happened to me um, when I got really sick. Essentially, I was back to being a really scared preschooler with my amygdala screaming out that my life was in danger, even though I could see that logically there was no danger present. 
So how does trauma interrupt our ability to flourish as humans? As I've already said, it breaks down those four key relationships. It's a very isolating experience. Um, cuts you off. Um, also, a coping strategies is a big part of it. So when people experience trauma, they, they develop coping strategies to, to find a way to survive. And when I was probably about seven, I decided that I needed, in order to survive, I had, a, had to not have needs or feelings, and I had to get it all right. And if I could do those things, I would be okay. And they, these strategies were deeply ingrained in me. They were my tools, my friends that got me all the way to 38 years of age, and they could get me no further. Um, I needed to find a new way of being. While humans are resilient and we find these coping strategies um, to help us get through, the coping strategies themselves can actually cut us off from those relationships too. Secondly, trauma decreases our ability to experience joy and intimacy. Life's little pleasures, people that carry trauma often experience life in a muted way. Thirdly, it can rob a person of their sense of agency, voice and choice. Feelings of powerlessness and feeling trapped were very common emotions for me and for many others. And lastly, for, for some of the population, 6%, it leads to PTSD with symptoms like flashbacks, numbing, hypervigilance, self-loathing, disassociating, nightmares. Um, I experienced most of these. They were dreadful. Um, trauma can leave us with profound wounds. Trauma theory teaches us that time cannot heal the trauma wound. So what can heal trauma? And how does trauma theory research bring hope for recovery and pave the way for us to flourish as God intended? Right, next slide, thank you. Um, neuroscience research shows that because trauma is stored in the body, the recovery has to also be focused on the body. And Bessel van der Kolk, in his groundbreaking book, The Body Keeps the Score, outlines uh, six pathways to healing. And if, if this is something that um, impacts your life personally, you, you suffer from trauma or you know someone that has, if you only read one book on trauma, I'd encourage you to read this book. It's not an easy read, but it's, it's amazing. So Bessel says there's six things that can pay, pave the way to healing. Firstly, we need to get that smoke alarm to turn off, right? Hyperarousal must be attended to first. If someone feels like their life is in danger, first of all, that needs to get sorted out. So um, for me, um, I was kind of in a constant state of a panic attack in Thailand, and I needed medication to help me to come, come down um, so, so the counselling could start. Um, before the healing can begin, the body needs to experience that the danger has passed. Second path is to practice mindfulness, not in a waffly way, um, but in, as an increased awareness of bodily sensations and emotions. As a part of my coping strategy, I had ignored my body and my emotions for 38 years. Um, so I needed a therapist to teach me how to start paying attention to my body and my emotions. That's mindfulness. The third path is relationships, feeling safe and reconnected with fellow human beings, often including a therapist. Fourthly, 
Communal rhythms can bring the healing power of community. So this can look like getting together with people and practicing uh, music, theatre, dancing. Uh, For me, when I was well enough to be in a room with people, which took me about a year, uh, I joined a community ukulele group for beginners. (laughs) It was fantastic. So fifth, safe touch can be helpful and include being hugged, therapeutic massage. And the sixth path is taking action. Getting in touch with the actions that your body couldn't complete when you were frozen in that traumatic experience. Uh, So for example, it can often be really healing for victims of rape to attend karate classes, to finally complete the actions that their body wanted to complete when they were in that moment, but they were stuck and frozen in trauma. God created the human body with the ability, with the incredible ability to heal from trauma. And trauma theory treatments show us that our mind can actually reprocess traumatic memories um, through new, new trauma treatments. Trauma theory broadens our understanding of what it means to be human. And our human design gives us hope for both resilience and recovery from trauma. So I just want to share with you five things that I learned when I brought these two, these two areas of study together. Um, can you go to the next slide, please, Emma? Yeah, this one here I just wanted to show you first. Um, everyone integrates th- th- psychology and theology. It's just that often we don't realise that we're doing it and we don't realise the method that we're using. So I really like this, um, this description of four different ways that we can bring um, science and theology or psychology and theology together. So I was raised with the against model. So on the top left there, um, so you imagine psychology is sitting in the one chair and theology is in the other, and they are warring parties. They are mutually exclusive. They are opposed to each other. Um, That was how I was raised. And then I moved on to an of approach to bringing these two things together, which is kind of like one trumping the other. So um, it's an, so you deal with the tension between these two fields of study by establishing a hierarchy where one trumps the other, and usually for Christians it's theology that trumps science. Then I spent some time dabbling in the parallel approach up on the right here, um, which is allowing the two disciplines to coexist, um, but on two planes like railroad tracks that never meet. Uh, they've got nothing to say to each other. And so finally, what I tried to do with this research um, was to use the integration approach where I tried to imagine psychology and theology sitting down in those chairs together um, like two people sitting down and having a conversation. And when I sat them down together, this is, these are the things that I learned. Um, so back to the other one, thanks, Eva. Yeah, five things that I learned. Number one, a sense of safety is the baseline People that carry trauma need to survive first before they can flourish. Van der Kolk, um, the the, um, trauma guy, argues that being able to feel safe with other people is probably the most important aspect of mental health. 
Safe connections are so fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. People need to feel seen and heard and accepted. And traumatized people need to know that there is a safe place for them in the family of God. The second thing that I learned is that we need to make space for bodies and experiences. All bodies are okay. All skin colours, any gender, any shape or size, any ability, any level of ability or disability. Any experience is mentionable. It is okay to talk about the very darkest parts of our lives. We all need to know that our true story fits within God's true story of the whole world. Christian subculture is sometimes so strong that we feel that we've got to force our lived experience into a mould of what a good Christian life should look like. And sometimes it doesn't, doesn't really fit. We have to cut parts of us off to fit. Instead, let us carve out space in church for people's lived experience and hold a posture that allows for contradictions. We don't have to understand every person's story that we hear. We just need to make space for it. We haven't done this well in church. Our stories of suffering and trauma do fit within God's, uh, God's big story of restoration of all of creation. There is room for everyone in the family of God. Thirdly, avoiding triumphalism. Traditional theology has focused on a proclamation of God's victory over suffering. The message is often, we are overcomers. Or the line, one of the lines in the songs we were singing, Lord of every victory. This is a really strong theology in our, in our movement at the moment. And it's true. However, this triumphalistic narrative can leave the traumatized person feeling as though they are somehow failing. In clinical circles, the language of recovery has actually been replaced with the language of resilience, which is quite a lot better at acknowledging the lived realities of, of trauma. But our theology still remains tied to recovery. We just want people to get better. And often we want it to be linear and tidy. You were sick here. We prayed for you, you got better. Anything else is a little bit uncomfortable and we don't quite know what to do with it. What, what would it look like for the church to shift goalposts and instead of aiming for recovery, we, we allowed resilience to also be a win if someone was growing in their resilience? Do we believe that a person that's carrying trauma can still flourish if they are growing in their resilience? In our Christian tradition, lament used to be a really important practice that gave us room to bring our suffering, our hard stuff, our messy stuff before God. We have sanitized the gospel too much. 
Can we reintroduce lament into our community practices? The fourth thing I learned is that um, we need to move away from theology as a fixer and move towards theology as bearing witness. When I was sick, a lot of um, really well-meaning Christians tried to fix my trauma with their favorite Bible verse, and it didn't work. (laughs) Um, Seeking to fix things with theology actually may just interfere with someone's healing process. For many people that experience trauma, even the concept of theology as the provider of answers can become unraveled. And rather than trying to explain what's taking place, our theology needs to bear witness to what is taking place. Trauma theory emphasizes the importance of creating safe spaces for um, people to tell their stories, with the listeners not giving answers, but just listening, bearing witness. Just as the Spirit bears witness to our lives, we are to bear witness to the lived realities of our fellow human beings. And rather than conveying theological certainty, the posture of the listener is simply to listen, confident in the restorative power of bearing witness to suffering. A trauma theologian, Shelley Rambo, says this thing that I just love. There are two things... Yeah, did you know there's trauma theology? I found that out when I was doing research. So trauma theologian Shelley Rambo says, there are two things that occur in the midst of trauma. God's love persists and the spirit bears witness. We are then empowered by the spirit to witness both to the effects of death and how love remains amidst trauma. The final thing I learnt was shelving judgment of ourselves and of others. Trauma theory teaches us that sometimes a lack of flourishing in a person is not a result of their personal sin, but instead a very normal human response to trauma. It can be a deep relief for a traumatised person to know that their behaviour is a normal human response to an abnormal event in their life. A traumatic response is not a moral failing, and many who fail to flourish do so through no fault of their own. Many traumatic events are not the result of a person, of someone's personal sin, but of somebody else's sin done to them. But for many people who experience trauma, Christianity has not offered good news, but judgment. We have got to move away from judgment. When we see someone whose behaviour seems odd or crazy or unacceptable, often we ask in our heads, what is wrong with you, right? But in light of trauma, often people's behaviour will make perfect sense if we were to know what that person had gone through. Instead of asking, what is wrong with you, could we instead ask, 
What happened to you that makes this behaviour make perfect sense? An example of this um, is with the ram raids that are quite current and happening quite frequently around the country. I'm seeing a lot of people responding with anger towards these kids and saying things exactly like, what is wrong with these kids? Who do they think they are? But what if we as followers of Jesus were to change that question and asked, what has happened to these kids that makes this behaviour make perfect sense? Psychology gives us handles and tools for being human. And theology gives us humans purpose and hope. Both are needed. Theology is the study of how things should be. Science is the study of how things are. And some Christians are not flourishing because they are jumping too fast to how things should be, the theology, and are not allowing themselves long enough to sit with how things are, the science. We don't need to be afraid of the ways in which our bodies need healing. Because of Jesus, we know that suffering is not the end. When we suffer, it doesn't tell us that we've failed. It just tells us that we're human. And precisely at that point of suffering, death can start working backwards. And out of my trauma wound has come profound healing. I think gospel renewal almost always looks different than we think that it will. I want to leave you with a quote from Father Richard Rohr. We suffer to get well. We surrender to win. We die to live. We give it away to keep it. And thank Jesus that because of him, our suffering, our trauma, does not get the final word. Praise Jesus. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.